One of the things I hear about from my clients, and, and you don't even have to be a consultant to hear about this a lot, is problems communicating with and working with the development team. People, product managers, complain about developers being poorly motivated or having a bad attitude about what you want them to build. They complain about getting the wrong thing from the developers. The feature delivered is not what you had in mind. And of course, there's other forms of miscommunication, and I could just go on and on with a long list, which I will not do. But thinking back to the title of the podcast, I'd suggest that if this stuff is happening to you as a product manager, it's at least partly your responsibility. You are likely to be causing these problems, and you're definitely the one who has to fix these problems. If that's the case, then, what can we do about it? Well, welcome to this episode of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, a podcast on how to be an effective product manager. Coming to you from NPD Studios, also known as my garage. I'm Nils Davis. Our primary mechanism for communicating with development, aside from actually having conversations with them and talking to them, which I hope you're doing, right, is via product requirements, the documented why and what of a new feature or new capability in your product. By the way, I'm going to use the term requirements in this podcast. You might call them features or feature specifications or epics or user stories. I don't know what you call them. And all these terms have problems in various ways, but that's a topic for a different podcast. Let's just call them requirements or product requirements for now. And hopefully we will all kind of agree on what that means and not our heads, okay? The point is that product requirements are our stock and trade as product managers. And chances are we are not doing as good a job of writing and communicating these as we could if we wanted to avoid the problems I mentioned above with respect to the development organization. Let's think about developers as people for a minute. Like all people, developers are motivated by what Dan Pink in his awesome book Drive calls the components of motivation 3.0, mastery, autonomy, and purpose. The handy acronym MAP will help you remember these. Of course, we PMs are also driven by the same things, which I might talk about on a future podcast. But for now, let's think about what mastery, autonomy, and purpose mean for software developers. Well, I think mastery should be clear. It means that they are in control of their tools and expert at using them. And these tools are programming languages, of course, but they're also the engineering disciplines of technical design and architecture and problem solving and so on. Now, autonomy is a little less clear. What does it mean, really, for a developer who's part of an engineering team amongst other engineering teams, potentially in a big company, to be autonomous? Well, I take it to mean that they get to apply their mastery to solve problems in their own way, using their own expert skills. And this may be why engineers are often so frustrated when product managers, usually out of the goodness of their own hearts, go beyond the why and the what in their requirements and start talking about how. That's really stepping on the toes of the engineers in terms of their autonomy. Now, purpose is often the big problem for developers, at least in a lot of companies I've experienced. As product managers, we have a great sense of our purpose, to help our customers have better, more successful lives and to achieve their business and personal goals, and all by the use of our product, of course. But often, the requirement for a capability that will have such a big positive impact on the customer's life will have lost all connection to that ultimate goal by the time it gets to an engineer. The engineer is given a document or a requirement that describes something the PM wants, but with no connection to the way it makes the customer's life better. 
This significantly dilutes any sense of purpose that the engineer has and consequently reduces their motivation to do it. Now even in the case of using a simple formula like the user story template, where it says, as a user, I want to be able to do thus and such, typically that's not enough purpose to provide. It doesn't talk about a big type of value that the user is going to experience, just a, just a simple one. And so this is one of the things that I want, I think we need to address as product managers. Because summing it all up, fundamentally engineers are motivated by solving important problems using their mastery of problem solving, architecture, design, and programming in new creative ways using their autonomy so that they can improve customers' lives, thereby achieving a meaningful purpose. And if your requirements are not meeting the standard that lets them do that, then they will be less motivated. So what can we do about this? Well, part of the answer is to use a rubric. Now, I've talked in the past about the value of templates for our cognitive resource management as product management managers. And I've described various templates, such as the impact areas idea for product requirements or product feature specifications. You can see links to a couple of those uh, topics in the show notes. There's another useful and similar tool, which is a rubric. Um, remembering back to high school, the idea of a rubric is that it gives a grader, looking at, say, a bunch of essays or a bunch of problem sets, a method for quickly scoring them. So a rubric for essay grading might count, might have four or five or eight or ten different criteria where it might count spelling as somewhat important to the final grade. Uh, the presence of a topic sentence is very important, for example, and maybe the length. Maybe it has to have five paragraphs at least. And those are all part of the rubric for scoring an essay. Now, there's a handful of rubrics for writing requirements and, and related things. And again, they're, they're essentially something you use to sort of look at a requirement and judge whether it's a good quality requirement. The best known one of these is INVEST, I-N-V-E-S-T, which is an acronym for Independent, Negotiable, Valuable, Estimatable, Small, and Testable. There's another rubric, which does not have an awesome acronym, unfortunately, but it's got a good name, is Scott Selhorst's Big Ten Rules for Writing Good Requirements. Although I think there are actually now 12 of the rules that Scott publishes. Now, I think I really like Scott's list, and it's actually similar to what I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. Um, they're, they're, both, they're good as far as they go. I personally have never felt that the INVEST acronym really spoke to me as a person who was trying to solve problems for customers with my products. In other words, I don't think it's great for product managers, the INVEST acronym. So I invented my own, and I'm going to introduce you to that, to my new rubric, which is called Valuable. Yes, Valuable is the name of the rubric. It's also one of the words in the rubric. So Valuable will help you communicate more effectively with the development team. Because developers are motivated by solving real problems for real customers, Valuable is designed to help you surface the value that you're asking them to create for you. So the traditional rubrics for requirements and user stories, such as Invest, they kind of lose focus on the market problem and instead take some implementation considerations into account. While with Valuable, the market problem and the focus on the customer drive everything. And by the way, accompanying this podcast and the podcast notes post, I have an infographic style mini poster that you can download and print out and hang on the wall if you like, about the valuable rubric. And so check out the show notes for that. Now, as I said, the rubric is called valuable 
and it is an acronym. So let me just quickly run through what it stands for. Well, V is for valuable. It, the story that you're giving or the requirement that you're providing is valuable because it solves an urgent, pervasive problem for a real market who will pay for the solution. And this should all be included in the story, in the requirement. Now, the A stands for aligned. The requirement is aligned with the company's strategy and priorities. L stands for loved. The requirement, the feature, the capability will be loved by customers because it will do what they need and not cause them more problems. U is for understood the same way by engineering and product management. Now, one of the issues, of course, I mentioned at the beginning is that you get back from development something that's different from what you imagine. So part of the thing you have to do in the collaboration with development is make sure that you have the same understanding of what this capability is going to be. And the U within the rubric explicitly says that is required, that you have to have come to the same understanding with development. Now the A is for acceptance tests. So there's clear acceptance criteria that say that allows the product manager to do a smoke test on the capability to, sh to see that it is going to do the thing that you want it to do, that's going to provide the value for the customer. The B is for bounded or realistically achievable. And Scott has another good term for this as well. Um, the L stands for leverages our competencies and unique abilities and positioning. Because it's important that what we put into the market is things that we can do best because that provides a competitive differentiator. And the final E is really for explicit and testable usage expectations. And what this means is I'm going to put into the requirement the, my hypothesis about how customers will use this and my requirements for how to measure the usage so that I can compare the actual usage to my hypothesis. So as you can probably tell, I am coming at the goals of writing requirements from a different place than invest. In particular, as I've written about before, see the show notes again, I don't think anything, I don't think interesting features are estimatable, at least not at the outset. And this is why I use the term bounded rather than estimatable. Scott's cell horse system does something similar with the term attainable. So I think you really want, you really want to not have to constrain yourself by writing requirements that are estimatable, certainly not initially. You may, you do need to have confidence though that it can, something can be delivered, that you can attain the goal. Um, it might be this quarter, it might be next quarter, but you have a good sense of it's achievable. And while invest, the invest rubric that I don't like as much does have a V for valuable. It's really mixed in with other terms like independent and small and testable that are really much more implementation focused and less appropriate for product requirements per se because product requirements and product capabilities tend to be bigger beasts um, than the types of user stories that are often found in IT applications, which is where Invest was really originally invented. So unlike Invest, Valuable is much more explicitly about customer value, about strategic alignment, and about coming to a common understanding with development. It leaves out independent and negotiable, which I do not think are necessary, and small, which again, I think most interesting things are not small. And it covers some things invest doesn't, such as the expected use, the alignment with strategy, and the leveraging of our, of our competencies. Now, on the other hand, no one rubric can contain everything, and some things are missing from this one. For example, it doesn't explicitly mention that the market problem under V 
for valuable, has been validated, although I think that is implied. Now, the rubric also doesn't mention anything related to technical specification, and I've explained why that could be demotivating for developers to have that in there. If you think about the purpose of a requirement to capture the why and what of a feature and not the how, it makes sense to leave that out of the rubric. Of course, there's nothing limiting you from putting technical guidance into the requirement. The rubric says nothing about what you uh, shouldn't put in. It talks about the things that you should make sure are there. So how would I use this rubric in practice? Well, there's a few ways to use it. Its usage is going to be similar to how you might use Invest today, for example. First of all, as an, as an admonition to people writing requirements, or a guideline. Admonition is too fancy a word. Second, you could use it as an acceptance test for requirements. For example, if there have been issues with the handoff of requirements from product management to development, this rubric gives both parties something to hang their hats on in terms of acceptability. You can also use the rubric, at least parts of it, as the table of contents for your requirements. Now, the goal of, rubric, of the valuable rubric is really to communicate more effectively with your development team. Again, they really want to be solving real problems for real customers, and valuable really surfaces that to help them understand the value that they're creating. So you can use the, value, the valuable as a table of contents for your requirements, or simply as a tool to gain agreement and alignment with developers. I'd like to hear your feedback on this approach to writing better requirements, this, this valuable rubric. Let me know if you think this will result in better deliveries from your development team. Take a look at the podcast notes at nullsdavis.com and download the infographic that's perfect for hanging on the wall of your cube. And let me know via the comments if you think this will help you and your organization to be more effective. Thanks for joining me on this episode of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. You can follow me at Nilsey on Twitter and read my essays about product management at nilsdavis.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe via iTunes, search for Responsibility Authority to find the listing, or your favorite podcast subscription method, and please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. The feedback is very helpful for me. Until next time, this is Nils Davis. Davis.